They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. to another episode of the Juan on Juan podcast. I'm your host, Juan. Today, we will be talking to Kelly Hastings, one of the owners at Total Zen Float. And we're going to be talking about her book, Rotten Minerva. It is about embarking on your quest, your journey, uh, this quest and journey that we're all on to really find ourselves and really uh, figure yourself out and what comes with that quest, you know, pain, suffering. Sometimes a lot of people learn the hard way. Some people have to wait for traumatic things to happen in their lives for them to be able to find their way. And suffering is such a vital part of the process because it really makes you appreciate It really makes you open up your eyes towards what the world is like. And unfortunately, some of us have to go through that in order to be able to grow on this book. She talks about that and her personal experiences with that, uh, facing your fears, facing your inner demons, whatever you want to call it, the tiger that you have to face to, to really achieve that. And we can see this in, in all these different cultures, the, the symbology back then that would make, you know, the young men battle tigers and, you know, you have to bring back their head and you, you'll be considered a man. Kelly's book really inspired me and, and really resonated with me because, again, I'm on that quest as well. And uh, I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. So on this episode, we break down her book. We talk about her life because she's also a yoga instructor, a yogi and a lawyer and how this uh, what inspired her to write the book. And we just talk about uh, different aspects of life when it comes to embarking on your quest and how everybody should tackle it because it's going to be different for everyone. So without further ado, this is Rotten Minerva with Kelly Hastings. And we are live. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Hey, thank you. So is it 
Hastings or Hastings? How do you want me to Hastings. say it? Hastings. That's correct. All right. So uh, for those who don't know, Kelly is also an owner at uh, Total Zen Float, which I recommend everybody go to. Uh, I love I love that place and I love Garrett. I love the energy there. Uh, yeah. And I, I believe everybody should at least float uh, at least three times to really get a feel for it. And, uh, last time I was there, I couldn't really disconnect. And Garrett was just like, you know, it's just the energy, the, the, it's just the energy going around now with everything going on. And I was like, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense with so many things going on in the world, especially right now. It, it, you know, I just have a hard time disconnecting, but, uh, we're going to start off with, we're going to talk about your book today. You're a yoga instructor. You're also a lawyer. Yes. Uh, we can start off with uh, where can people find your work, Kelly? Well, you know, probably the best place to find me, follow me is on my website, theyogalawyer.com. But I'm also up at Total Zen twice a week, and I host a yoga class there twice a month on Sundays, the second and fourth Sundays of every month. Okay, cool. Yeah, so if anybody wants to see your work, and again, Total Zen awesome place and we're gonna start off with a question that i ask everybody who comes on the show and <laughs> i posted uh a quote about alan watts today i'm going to and it's like trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth <laughs> so <laughs> Love alan who is kelly hastings i said it right correct <laughs> yes that's right who am yeah. i we could get real deep with that on a deep Go level. for it. <laughs> well, on the deepest level, I feel like I'm the divine expressed in the form as me, as Kelly, like all of us are, you know, not that I'm special in any way in that sense, but that each of us is the divine expressed in a specific form, whether it's another human or a tree, it's divinity expressed in form. So in the deepest sense, that's what I am. I mean, usually when people ask that question, they, you know, you rattle off a list of like your accomplishments or your career or, you know, it's interesting how we define ourselves. A lot of times people say, well, who are you? And you say, well, I'm a yogi, I'm a lawyer, I'm a mother, you know, but that's not what I am at my deepest essence. I agree. I agree. And again, that's, that's society conditioning us. And what makes a good life a good life? Is it having a lot of money? Is it having a lot of things? Materialism. We, we live in a materialistic society and yeah, you're right. People let that define who they are for them. But deep down inside, it's like you have all these people with a lot of money and they still kill themselves. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you have, essentially. It's it's, you know, you uh, uh, what you you talk about finding the root cause inside of yourself in your book. And it's like you have to look down deep within yourself to really find out what that is. And uh, that's that's an issue I have with religion and I, and I've done other episodes on, on that alone. But what I love about the Gnostics is that they believe that, you know, we are divine and we have divinity within ourselves and the way to, uh, to, you know, reach the upper heavens or whatever you want to call it is through Gnosis, through the knowledge. Yeah. And that's really powerful. And again, it's a structural thing. It's a political thing. It takes the power away from the church, whatever. That's, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But, at the end of the day, we are divinity. So uh, what is it you do, Kelly? I know you do, you uh -huh. uh, practice law. What type of lawyer are you? <laughs> That's a good question. I, You know, it's funny. 
these days I try to lawyer as little as possible just so that I can pursue my other interests. But I still probably practice law, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. And I've really kind of um, changed my law practice so that I can do it while I'm doing other things like, you know, running Total Zen Float with Garrett and writing like I, you know, I wrote a book and I'm writing another one and also being a mom and just all the fun things I like to do, you know, traveling. And, but as far as what type of law I practice now, I do mostly legal writing. So I do appeals and that's where other lawyers and clients will hire me to try to get a case that they didn't like how it went in court. They try to get it overturned in the appellate court. So it's a lot of um, writing. We used to write really long briefs to explain why the lower court was wrong. And then I sometimes have to go and argue in front of the appellate court. So it's a combination of writing and arguing. And I've done oh, a little bit of everything. Like I, you know, I've been a lawyer for 18 years. So I've done, I started in work wow. comp and I've done wills and I, I've done, I really have done a little bit of everything. So I, I do have some clients who've been with me for years who just call me whenever they have a legal issue. And I try to at least steer them in the right direction, even if it's not something I do. That's awesome. Yeah. You're, you refer to yourself as the yoga lawyer, yes. which I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of one but, of those like a uh, sentence. What do you call it, an oxymoron? Like a sentence that contradicts itself. Like a yoga lawyer, but I think there should be more yoga. Everything you know, yoga doctors, yoga yeah. teachers, yoga whatever. That's the most chill lawyer I've ever come across. That <laughs> yoga lawyer. That, that's awesome. But what? Um, obviously you do yoga, and then I wanted to talk to you about that when we got to uh, uh part two of your uh section two of your book practice you know the yeah. real yoga because i think i think that's interesting i've i've tried to do yoga here at home with my fiance and it's it looks simple <laughs> but at the same time it's like you people only what you said people see it only as like this thing where you stretch and stuff but yeah, it goes deeper yeah. than that so we'll, we'll get into that yeah uh what inspired you uh, to write this book? Obviously, you have your own story and you went through hardships in your life and then obviously uh, inner conflicts, which I the reason I enjoyed the book so much was because it's it was a sort of a synchronicity for me because I'm in that stage of my life. I'm about to be 26. I haven't really found my thing yet. I'm in that pursuit, uh, you know, that inner battle of what I want to do, who I want to be. And again, you have society and you have other factors at work that sort of paint this picture in your in your in your mind of where you should be what you should do and yeah. it's like at the end of the day it's like you said when you were in india that that homeless man who was so happy and you were mad because he was happy <laughs> why are you happy you're homeless <laughs> yeah he didn't have any legs and he he was just every day smiling at the coconut stand oh and he didn't have any legs on top of that i missed that part <laughs> he was walking around he would hold in his hand two uh, bricks and he would use those to and use his hands to get around with the bricks in his hands so that his hands didn't touch the ground you know wow. and he was there's, a, there's always somebody who there's always somebody who has it way worse than you do and we complain about the small things in life but yeah uh so what inspired you to write this book, uh, Rotten you know, Minerva, I, I, an interesting I, title. <laughs> and that's, that's a, a nod to my late grandmother who used to write stories for my brother and I called Rotten Minerva. And they were about a girl who would, you know, she had a heart of gold, but she would get into some trouble. Mostly she was like going in the woods unattended or, you know, doing things my grandma didn't want us doing. And she would teach us lessons that way. 
So the title is kind of, uh, you know, a tip of the hat or an homage to her, but it, it's, I like the title too, because I think we all are a little rotten and we kind of feel like on the spiritual quest, you know, you have to be this perfect saint and it's, that's not what life is about. That's not what discovering your true self is really about. You're allowed to be a little rotten by some comparisons, you know, everything is relative anyway. And I talk about that in the book too, like really what is good and evil? It's kind of a human creation. I don't think animals think in terms of good and evil, but yeah, as far as what inspired me to do it, you know, I was always writing. Like, I think I, I kind of have that writer inside, even my law career now looking back, because um, my, <laughs> my law career didn't start the way it's ended up. You know, I was, I was one of those 60 hour plus work week, you know, lawyers grinding it out. Um, and I wasn't happy, even though I had money and everything that should make me happy. Um, but I've always liked to write. And so even in my lawyer career, I was a write, I was doing legal writing. And, um, so I would write, you know, just like little notes everywhere. And I was writing blogs and then, um, finally just hit me like I could put this all into a book and it just felt like a good way to share a lot of what I've learned. So maybe even if it helps one person, you know, then I've been successful because one person has learned from my journey, but I, hopefully it'll help many more than that. Yeah. I, I haven't done the exercises at the end of the book, but you also have those. And I found it interesting because like I said, it's so different than, uh, so obviously that's, uh, we can talk about, we can start with your story. Uh, I guess if you want to talk a little bit about that and then work it into, uh, uh, what's it? So wait, back up. Did you say God is a cow? Cause I mean, you went to India, you were over there for a while and yeah. you see the different ideologies and, and, uh, what, uh, I forgot the word for it. The different values that people have in these different countries. Yeah. Especially. Cultural differences really. Yeah, cultural. And, and it's crazy. You come out here and it's like we slaughter these cows and we eat them and we make all this stuff. And over there, they're seen as sacred and almost a, a oneness with nature. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, over there, they think everything is a form of God. Everything yeah. is their yeah, own yeah, God, you know, divine and in, in a way that we don't in America. And that's why, you know, the, the man with no legs at the coconut stand can be happy because he's found a deeper happiness. And that's part of the reason why I was mad was like, well, <laughs> why haven't I found that? You know, I have all this stuff and it's not about that. And and really going to India, it is a little bit of a culture shock um, when you first go, but what it helps you to really see is the divinity in everything because they do really see it in everything there. They worship everything. Well, it's, it's not about like many gods. Like a lot of people think it's more just the one God yeah. expressed in everything. Well, it's like that quote that I sang you by Alan Watts. Yeah. You know? I like that. It's like, Oh, good thing you, you finally figured it out. But again, it's that divinity within us that we're able to uh, find. And it's it, there. there is no good and wrong uh, or good and evil. That, that's, like you said, a construct that we came up with. Obviously, I believe that if you're doing something and it, and it hurts children, it hurts other people, and it spreads like a negative message, then, you know, there, there's there's your there's actions are borderlines. Yeah, I mean, that makes, yeah. you know, like, here's my question that, that I would pose to anyone is, is there evil without humans? Like, say there's no humans on Earth, would there be evil? And I don't know, no. I'm not the answer to it, but would, you know, I kind of feel like there wouldn't be. So I kind of feel like we bring the evil in, but I don't think that we're inherently evil. Like, I won't, I don't believe that, that there's these people that are inherently evil. I think there's evil actions, evil acts, people that do really evil things. 
but I don't think any human that is born is born evil. Like no baby is evil. Mm -mm. I agree with that. It's it's that seed that's planted in them from the very beginning. And as a mother, you you can relate to that. And me as a father as well, yeah. I can relate to that because you see, uh, you know, even growing up, my son's about to be two on the 19th. Mm -hmm. And it's like you see every month and, every, you know, every week that passes by the new things they pick up. And it's like, you know, you didn't know that last week, but again, that same concept, the new things that they pick up every, along the way and along somebody's life, yeah. you know, imagine if Hitler would have been the artist that he wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How would it change the world uh, if he wouldn't? I, I believe he, you know, he went on this crazy because he got rejected or something like that when he went to go paint. They told him that he wasn't ever going to be anything. And that really sparked but imagine if he would have been accepted in that community yeah. and what it became. Can you imagine Hitler, this crazy hip artist, you know, uh, probably in another dimension, yeah. you know, in yeah. another universe he was, he, he did become this crazy artist. But uh, so let's talk about your story. And I, and uh, I, you know, everybody waits usually, I don't know if this happened to you to really realize, obviously you had the passing of your brother and your, father are uh, close to one another yeah um i'm sorry to hear that by the way um when i was at total zen last weekend i believe it was uh garrett was like you know that kobe passing really hit me hard and i told him and i said yeah garrett but he's like it's really made me look at things and i go garrett but why did some why did somebody have to pass for you to see that why do people always have to wait for things yeah, to happen? We do. And this, this can relate to anything in life, not just, uh, you know, not just the passing of a loved one, the, you know, something traumatic, something, uh, uh, an event in their life to really shake them up and be like, you know, wake up. Why do you, why do we have to get to that extent and wait to that? Was that something similar to what happened to you with obviously the passing yeah, and then absolutely. obviously your story? And I, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the books. I'm hoping maybe it'll inspire people to, start looking inward before the suffering. Cause I, I don't, you know, suffering has been the human story for so long. That's the Jesus's story is the suffering on the cross. And that's kind of the path we follow. It's like, we need suffering to push us forward, but maybe we don't need it. You know, I think there's a lot of younger people in particular who are, who are looking inward without this, uh, you know, needing the suffering to push them there. But for me, I needed, <laughs> I needed some suffering. I was pretty stuck in that, you know, material mentality before the suffering came on. So that's really what sparked it for me was yet the, the cancer deaths of my father and brother six months apart in 2010. It's been almost 10 wow. years now, but that, you know, it was an awful experience, but at the same time, there was such beauty in it because it really brought me into self-realization, like realizing who I really am. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another quote by Alan, uh, it says advice. I don't have advice. Stop aspiring and start writing. <laughs> you know, it's like, get out of that get out of that mentality and just really because again i talk about this on my show a lot about that i call it the cycle you know everybody gets hung up on this cycle and, and i and it's understandable because there's responsibilities in life either you have a family you have bills to pay yeah. you have to pay your mortgage whatever it is uh you get stuck in this cycle of just working and not really finding that creativity and that time to create and i feel that's something that people should do um so 
uh, how was your trip in India? You know, how did that change your view on everything, seeing these people this way? Can we talk about that? Yeah. What were you doing over there? Well, so I, I went there three times and I'm hoping to go again, but it's been a few years now. So over the course of three years, I spent about six months there total. And I brought my young son with me. He's nine now, but our trips to India, he was one and a half, two and a half and four years old. So that was kind of nuts in itself, traveling around India with a, a young kid. But they love kids over there. Like I said, they see the divine in everything and especially in babies. And to see, you know, this young American kid, they loved him. Um, but yeah, what was your, what were you asking me What about the trip specifically? I kind of got lost there for a sec. Sorry, just in remembering. <laughs> how, how did it change your life and uh, what did you go for? <laughs> so yeah, how I started was, um, you know, I was looking for answers. It, I, the first time I went, it was January 2012. So it was about a year and a half after, well, it was only a year after my dad had died really and about a year and a half after my brother died. And it was hard, you know, and I was looking for answers. I'd started practicing yoga before that. Um, and, uh, my yoga asana, asana being yoga postures, my yoga posture teacher at the time was going and she had made several trips. She's like, you should come. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And we went there to study with, um, her teacher really doing yoga postures, like the, the exercises, but there it is taught in such a deeper way where you do a lot of the, the deeper aspects of yoga, even though you're you're doing the yoga exercises with your body, you're focusing on the breath and energetic lock. So it makes it a deeper practice. So we went and um, for two months at a time, each trip and just practiced yoga daily. And it really, um, that in and of itself is a very cleansing experience when you're working with the subtle energies in the body and we can get, you know, real out there talking about some of this stuff. But in, in its own way, it's a cl an internal cleansing that brings on transformation faster when you're doing practices like that in a culture that you haven't been to and you're sweating because it's like really, you know, a very sweaty cleansing process and you're eating super healthy food. So it just creates this environment where the real work, the inward work that we're trying to do can can quicken, can happen faster. But I, I really, truly believe that you don't have to go anywhere to really do this inner work. You know, you don't have to go to India or go meditate in a cave. Like you can start right here where you are doing the type of practices and inward analysis that will help you awaken to your true self. Go to Total Zen and do it at Total exactly. Zen. I was huh? thinking that too. <laughs> Shameless plug, but yes, Total Zen. <laughs> and, it, you know, there's a lot of float centers too, anywhere. Like anybody who wants to float, go float, find a place. But yeah, that's a great practice that you really go inward when you float because um, there's nowhere else to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no, you don't I, have anything. Yeah, so good. That episode that I did with with Garrett, people yeah. were writing to me like, oh, I'm going to go float now. I'm like, you should go <laughs> do it. Yes, nothing's holding you back. But yeah, so that's how I, I ended up there to study yoga. That's really why I went to India. To study yoga. That's, yeah. uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I also love all the quotes that you have, the Star Wars <laughs> quotes. Are you a, a big Star Wars uh, I, um, I, fan? I'm a, you know, so it's funny because it is kind of, I ended up with a Star Wars quote and in one or two other quotes to start off every chapter. And um, at first it was just, I was going to have a quote for every chapter. And then after I finished writing the book, I looked back and I saw, you know, out of how many chapters do I have? I've got 16 chapters. Well, like seven of them were Star Wars quotes or nine of them were Star Wars quotes. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got <laughs> half Star Wars quotes. And I was like, you know what? I might as well just do a Star Wars quote for every chapter. Cause otherwise it's a little yeah. funny, you know, why are half on Star Wars quotes? And then I'll also put another, quote from either 
you know, a philosopher, a writer I admire, or from a, a religious text that speaks to me. So I've got quotes from the, you know, the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, and, you know, famous writers and teachers I like, but then also a Star Wars quote for every chapter, and it just seemed to kind of work. <laughs> um, my next book, I don't think I'll have the Star Wars quotes, the one I'm working on, it's kind of a sequel to this one but we'll see you never know well i guess i'm not reading it oh, no. there's no star wars quotes <laughs> well maybe there'll be a few but i don't know if i'll have them for every chapter this time we'll see yeah i found that interesting <laughs> i mean the force is such a good metaphor and star wars has so many good metaphors for the internal quest it's and it's something that um you know a lot of people can relate to yeah i so working that into my next question obviously you compare it to uh you have yeah you, you have judgment which is, you know, comparing yourself, uh, you know, the ego and what you mentioned earlier about animals don't judge, you know, animals don't see what humans see, because it's a it's a construct that we came up with. And like you said, if there was no humans on in the on the world, uh, you know, there wouldn't be uh, hatred, there would be nature, because, you know, survival of the fittest, you know, yeah, animals eat themselves. And it's sometimes you may see it as a cruel thing but it's not because that's the way things were made to be and that's just that's just trusting the process and it, and again it's a it's a process you know it's the hierarchy of nature you know the the dominant predator is always going to be the one that's going to unfortunately eat that nice little baby gazelle maybe yeah. you know and it sucks to see but it, <laughs> it that's just just nature yeah, it's not evil um, call it evil i don't think yeah and then you talk about confronting the darkness and overcoming evil as well and the judgment yeah um so and again it relates to 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 star wars you know when when this whole thing again divinity you know if the force is everything and this unity because at the end of the day we are all one and that's what i love about quantum physics because quantum physics is now trying to correlate the connection between you know the non-physical and physical world and how our thoughts and consciousness affects the the you know the physical world and string theory you know we are all one you know we're just this vibrate we're all vibrations and frequencies and and all this craziness um so on the topic of star wars you talk about the hero's journey and then obviously uh not judging others as well and at the end of one of the chapters of uh, what is good and evil anyway, you talk about not needing to rely on faith or belief because at the end of the day, you can find divinity. Yeah, within. that's what, we, you know, it'd be ideal if everyone could find it within, then there'd be no need for religion. And I think re- all religion is really trying to point us toward a direct experience, but it gets kind of lost in translation and it turns into this. It's brokered. Yeah, yeah. Like it goes through the priest or yeah. Is that what you mean by brokered? Like it's like a hierarchy of who can into it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have the Pope, the head of the church talks to him every day. The guy under him talks to him every other day. The guy under him talks to him every other week and in order the Gnostics, you know, that's why they were persecuted and looked down upon because they took the power away from the church. They said, we are, we are gods, you know, we are divinity and we can, find our own way by ourselves obviously when money gets involved and when human nature gets involved things go down real you know things go south real quick so you know and and when i went floating for the first time and i think it was on the episode that i talked to garrett you know the first episode check it out uh 
we talked about that when you go when because I obviously you know you hear all these things. I did my research, and oh, you know, you're gonna see things inside the tank. Oh, you're gonna do this, and that's a psychedelic experience. And I asked him, I said, Garrett, what am I gonna see? He goes, Juan, yeah, set zero expectations. You know, don't come up with anything. Just go in there. You know, he said, go into the void, and be, and then we when afterwards we talked about. It, he's like, you know, the only problem with having this box this belief system this this box that you're going to be in is in the tank you're only going to go to where your beliefs limit you to go so if you only believe in one thing that's probably all you're going to see you know if you don't have an open mind if you don't believe in aliens if you don't believe in space if you think the world is flat you know you're probably just gonna you know just see that (laughs) so i thought that was interesting yeah i mean you know about experiencing like just to touch on that it's like if really what I want to do with the book is just encourage people to experience them on their own. Like, I don't want them to take now what I've said and turn that into a belief system. That's not what it's about. It's like, no, you need to experience it for yourself. Then no one can take it away from you. That's why um, experience is so important. And that's really the foundation of yoga and, you know, in Buddhism and a lot of these um, other kinds of ways that, you know, there's countless sages that have come before and taught us different ways of connecting with ourself but if it's based on direct experience no one can take it away from you it can't be destroyed like faith and belief can be i i agree with that i do agree with that um we're gonna move on to the next (laughs) section practice and then uh one of the one of the stories that made me laugh was uh your story with your brother's lean and how you went to the wrong room (laughs) Yeah, when I uh with the, his house, yeah, that was so crazy. How, that was so nuts. Embarrassing. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you want me to talk about it a little bit, basically. Yeah, what was that like? I mean, yeah. that's you know, so embarrassing. So basically, what happened was, you know, there's this lean. He, he had died. This was maybe I don't remember six years after he died, or I, it was a few years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but um, where my mom and I were trying to sell his old house, and um, it turned out it wasn't worth much. It's worth like the house itself was worth like twenty five thousand dollars. It was a house that we had all bought together and we're planning on fixing up and then he died. So it never happened, but there was a lien on the house for $47,000. So we went to sell it and we couldn't because there's a lien from the city because the fence was in disrepair. So every day they were putting like a $50 charge on the house. So anyway, they said, you got to go to city hall and get this taken care of. My mom, you know, wow. asked me to do it. I'm the lawyer. So I, I end up doing a lot of these types of things when they come up, you know, within the family, like if there's any kind of legal issue, Kelly will take care of it. So I went down to City Hall to talk to them to try to get this lien removed. And it turned out there was a huge meeting going on. There was a thousand people there because the Walmart's being built and they're protesting. So, yeah, I get up in front of the meeting in front of a thousand people. I give this impassioned plea for why why we should get the lien removed. Everybody's like cheering and, you know, and then uh, it turns out I wasn't at the right (laughs) meeting. The real meeting I needed was, you know, behind the City Hall building and it was small meeting there's only five people there or something and so i went back to that meeting and i was like, oh you know we need to get the lien removed they said okay and it was done but yeah it, it this whole event caused me to to have to stand up in front of a thousand people and talk about my brother's death and that's why it was that's what the moral of the story was for me because it was a time where i was kind of pushing it away and i wasn't dealing with it and um i think i say in the book how my brother had come to me in a dream a couple months ago and said you really need to look at my death and i was kind of like why do i need to look at his death i I don't think I need to. And then when this happened, I was like, oh, he's he's I felt like he was orchestrating it behind the, the scenes because it really made me face it head on in front of a bunch of people. It was funny. 
like, that's crazy and it's like how people say it's like oh look into yeah, my eyes. Like, yeah. oh, it wasn't a murder i don't think <laughs> so it's like what do you need me to see uh yeah i found that really funny um and then we we i think we talked about this uh your the section called do i have to quit drinking smoking loving and it's uh <laughs> if it, yeah. what you talk about there's you know not forcing change being open to change while not forcing it you know upon ourselves and I believe that's yeah. that's very powerful. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Because I feel that people, when they want to go on a diet, you know, when they want to live healthy, they're like, oh, it's like a job. It's like, you know, it's not about that. You know, maybe you can start off little by little because it's a process, you know? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's not that nobody should ever do anything to try to better themselves or make themselves more healthy, but we kind of get so judgy on ourselves for our, our perceived vices. You know, I used to do this all the time. Um, I used to drink a lot more than I did. And I, every, I would always be writing up charts. You know, this was back when I was <laughs> lawyering a lot more, like when I first started as a lawyer and it's so stressful and a lot of lawyers after work go and have a drink. And, um, you know, I was always trying to like limit, force myself to stop. And then when I started practicing yoga and getting more into myself, I just naturally didn't want to drink anymore. Like it went away on its own. And that's not to say, you know, that there aren't people that, that have real chemical dependencies that may not need help. I'm not trying to say everybody can solve all their problems um, through yoga, but you might find that we're judging ourselves harshly about all our perceived vices when, you know, if we, if we really look inward and work on ourselves, some of those things will just leave us on their own. And um, I think I, I even mentioned a quote from one of my favorite yogis where he, Paramahansa Yogananda, the guy who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, a lot of people know about him, where he basically said just that. He's because someone asked him, they said, hey, to do yoga, do I have to quit drinking and smoking and, you know, liking women. And he was like, no, you don't have to quit any of those things to practice yoga, but you might find that <laughs> the desire for those things leave you. I can't promise you that you won't stop wanting to do those things. Once you start this inward journey, it doesn't have to be yoga, any kind of journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. I mean, uh, it's, it's like you said, in that, that can relate to a lot of things in life. You know, when you start, you know, talk about religion, you know, they, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. But at the same time, <clears throat> the reason I stopped going to church is because a lot of people yeah. were, you see the hypocrisy, you know what I mean? It's like, well, these people yep. are doing this after that, living, living that double life, you know? Um, but can you talk a little bit more? So we're going to get into the real yoga. Uh, and like you mentioned earlier, it's like this inner thing uh one of my friends recently did hot yoga and he told me it was really really good and like yeah how you had said that you're outside the super hot environment you're sweating and it's like this this thing um and then you, i know you go into these i think it's like what the five sections or seven sections of yoga correct me if i'm wrong it, it had these names I, that i can't pronounce yes <laughs> and i do i try i do use some yoga terminology in my book but i include a glossary and i define everything um but yeah, there's there's eight limbs of yoga. Most people think of yoga asana, the postures, as yoga, but really that's just one of eight limbs. And the other limbs are things like pranayama, which is breathing practices, um, meditation, uh, samadhi, bliss, you know, uh, ethical and moral codes. There's there's all these other limbs of yoga. Pratyahara, one that's that literally means sense withdrawal. That's sensory deprivation, floating. Sense withdrawal just means, you know, doing something externally or just internally to kind of mute your senses and really go inside that's a that's a yoga practice and to me these other yoga practices are more powerful and more important 
than yoga asana. But for us in the West, most of us start with yoga asana, the exercises. It's the most tangible, the most easily accessible. You know, the other stuff seems a little out there for a lot of Westerners. But the real yoga is in, is an inward practice, not an external posture practice. So, so which is the one that we do, which is the postures? What's that one called? Asana, A-S-A-N-A. Asana, yeah, that's the one. And it's like you said, uh, you know, it's foreign to Westerners, but there's people on the other side of the world who live by these practices, and this is what they do. And uh, yeah. would you say their whole life revolves around that? You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, so like not everyone in India is is practicing yoga. Yoga is kind of its own thing, because um, it's not really religion. It's a it's a way of accessing your religion. So in in India, their religion is Hinduism. Of course, we go on a whole subtopic because they don't even see it that way like they don't even define it as a religion it's just kind of their life but then there are hindus that practice yoga and not all do and then with yoga basically the 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 main yoga book even says whatever your religion is practices yoga and it'll get you with that um but yeah it's we focus on the postures and um that's not necessarily a bad thing because it gets us hooked i mean that's kind of what got me started was yoga postures but then i went deeper and the deeper practices are what really is going to are really going to going to get you looking inward um, but even the awesome practice if it's done right with the right teacher is really an inward practice and I really tout that um, like I said I host yoga practice twice a month at Total Zen and my yoga practice that I host is more about helping people find their own personal yoga practice and it includes asanas but also the pranayama the breathing practice and some other internal practices that you do on your own um, in the West, we always focus on this external teacher that's kind of leading the class, and that's not necessarily the best way to do it. I mean, it's not bad. I always say yoga is kind of like pizza. It's not like there's bad, <laughs> bad yoga. You know, it's always okay, but there's definitely better yoga. And in hot yoga, you mentioned does it, you know, hot yoga sometimes kind of looked down upon in the the yoga community, um, and that could be a whole other show. <laughs> but it it can be really good for people, yeah, because really? you know. I'll just do the brief version, which is when you're really practicing yoga with the use of breath and what they call bandhas, which are energy locks in your body, you generate heat. Um, And if you're in a hot environment like India, it helps, but they never turn up the air, you know, the the heat purposely because that kind of creates a false heat, which can be dangerous for some people. Uh, Firefighter friends said they used to get a call once a month at the hot yoga place where someone overheats or something. But at the same time, it can be very clearing to really sweat it out. And especially if you're trying to detox, hot yoga can be helpful. So I don't look down upon anyone who's done it and really gotten a benefit from it. But I do feel that there are better ways. Yeah, it's uh, even me and my. So I did it in my living room. You know, I put on a YouTube video because uh, I'm new to it. And uh, even me, I was sweating my ass off, you know, from just <laughs> stretching. It's like these positions. And then the lady would be like, you know, just, uh, do this. And <laughs> I'd be with my fiance. We, you know, we bought two yoga mats and then we have the baby trying to copy us <laughs> as well while he's watching us. And, uh, yeah, it's like you said, it's like you sweat and it's like the next day I woke up, I'm like, why am I sore? <laughs> you know, like, why do my, what is my body? I was just stretching. Um, so that's interesting, but now I'll let him know that <laughs> it's frowned down upon. No, the, no, uh, no. I, exactly. you know, it's, if he loves it, he likes it, he should do it. You know, any yoga, like I said, is good yoga. And I wouldn't want someone to stop practicing yoga because they think it's bad, but if he likes it and wants to go deeper, he, he could maybe, you know, graduate from that into something else 
or not you know to yeah. each his own yeah to each their own again uh, uh we're gonna move into our next uh thing which is uh one of the things that i love the most uh, film appreciation yeah. and then you you talk about elon musk elon musk is one of my favorite figures in the world okay. and you know it, the idea if we are living in a simulation you know you compare it to a movie uh, once you see life that way uh the sky's the limit um you know i love that idea because again our words have power that's why you have to be careful with what you say because you know it's it's we have power in what we say and if you say something negative towards somebody or even yourself you know a self-fulfilled prophecy if you say something negative like today is going to be a bad day uh you know, my life sucks, uh, whatever. Yep. Guess what? It's going to be a bad day because your mind it is a really powerful is. thing. Our minds are powerful. But yeah, that, that chapter, the film appreciation, is just another way of, um, of kind of looking at reality. You can look at it as like you would look at a movie and, and notice things and, and think of them all as being put there for a reason. Because I always talk about, my husband and I always joke about how like in films everything is there for reasons so every you know color or outfit a character's wearing or the music that's playing or you know the numbers that you see the symbolism yeah it's all you have to when you really appreciate film that's what you're looking for but when we look at our lives we don't do that so why not bring that same level of film appreciation to our life and really start looking for symbols and synchronicities and just noticing because you don't even necessarily have to look for them they kind of hit you in the face when you're open to it you see, you see the same things coming up again and again in your life. And if you're open to noticing it, then, um, you know, you can really open up your life in a way that maybe you hadn't before. Yeah. And we can work this into our next thing, you know, leaving space for possibilities, talking about synchronicities, uh, magic is magic. Uh, you know, it's a, in, in my quest of this esoterica that I study and I look into, there is a lot of symbolism and, if you're not paying attention to it, you're not going to see it. But once you start connecting the dots, like you said, it makes sense. And then you had, uh, you know, leaving space for possibilities, trusting the process and not getting bogged down in the details and just letting it happen. You <laughs> did the what was it, the South Park <laughs> episode of the gnomes, how they only knew step phase one. <laughs> they only knew step yeah, one and step three. three. Profit. Nobody knows what phase two is. And it's kind of like that. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't necessarily need to know the whole picture we can kind of know where we want to end up and know what steps we might need to take now. And we can leave some, some things open to chance and to a higher, you know, I, I hesitate to use the right words, but there's a, uh, an intelligence that exists in everything that's beyond us. You know, the fact that our bodies, like my body created a, a child, <laughs> you know, our bodies know how to heal themselves. Our hair grows without any thought from us, you know, just there's that intelligence that exists in everything. And we can trust that intelligence. You breathe on your own. Yeah, yeah. We're not. You don't have to think about that either. About breathing, yeah. And and why is that? You know, we think our minds are this be all end all thing, and there's such a small part of the intelligence that exists in life. I mean, we see it in nature. We we explain animal behavior by saying instinct. You know, these there's birds that that bury seeds in the you know before the winter, and then in the spring they remember where they left their seeds, and we say, oh, it's just animal instinct. Well, I mean, really, why do we think that same instinct, that same intelligence doesn't exist in the human, but it can exist in a bird or, you know, any other animal? So that intelligence is everywhere, and it can really guide your life if you're open to it and not thinking that your brain has to figure out every detail. You can open yourself up to a greater intelligence that's not limited by your head, <laughs> by your, you know, the confines of the human body and the Nothing limits credible. of the human brain 
Yeah, that's that, that's incredible. That animals can do that, even you know our yeah. body and stuff. Uh, yeah, so synchronicities, understanding the symbolism, and then can I? Uh, with magic is magic. Can I? Can I call you a literal tree hugger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about hugging this. I am definitely the cedar tree. I will hug a tree. <laughs> yes, and I do have a story in there about hugging a cedar tree, and she deserved the hug. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's again becoming one with nature and really seeing the oneness. And then you were talking about uh, my source style ashtanga. Yeah, so, is, is that a certain yeah? Type so of that's funny. Yoga? Going back to India, the town in India that I spent so much time in is called Mysore. Um, which is kind of funny. Yoga can make you were saying it makes you sore. So a lot of people are like my sore, but that's the, so the town is what the style of yoga is named after. And it can make you sore to do the yoga, but it's the name of this little town in South India. Um, and so my sore Ashtanga yoga is um, Ashtanga's eight limbs. Remember I was telling you how there's eight limbs of yoga. So it's just, it's practicing all eight limbs in the way that it was taught in this town. So it's mm. what it's called my sore Ashtanga yoga. Yeah, and uh, again, learn to recognize life's messages to you. Um, and we work in uh, into the shadow that we must face our fear. Uh, and you said so we can truly open up to our most authentic selves. You know that inner conflict. You always have that hmm. angel and demon, and sometimes, uh, sometimes we are the problem and not yeah. others around us. Like you, said, like I mentioned earlier, find the root and let things be. And do not try to control others because I, I believe you had, uh, you know, issues with trying to yeah. uh, with your best friend or whatever, uh, trying to make them, you know, again, we set expectations for others and we have to realize that other people are themselves and you have to accept them for who they are and not for what you want them to be. And, and when I was reading this, I, I looked over at my fiance and I said, you know what you need to do? You need to find the root because <laughs> you talk about family and how oh, people yeah. annoy you and stuff and it's that those same people always trigger that inside you and i looked at her and i said listen <laughs> sometimes it's not me you have to find the root within and that, yourself that's like i talk about as a groundhog day too you might start to notice that the same issues happen over and over again like a you know like the bill murray movie groundhog day where he's living the same day over and over it's like I had an issue with um, office managers and every office I went to, I had this, you know, office manager that would drive me nuts. And then finally I stepped back after the third one. I'm like, wow, maybe I'm attracting circumstances so I can learn something. Maybe it's not this person who, you know, from a, from an objective perspective, you might even agree. Like if I complain to other people, they'd say, oh yeah, she really is awful. But she, whether she's awful or not is beside the point. The point is it triggers me. And why am I triggered? Why is someone else not triggered by the same behavior? So you have to start asking yourselves that when we tell each, you know, each other these stories about these horrible people and circumstances in our lives, especially when we start to notice that the same types of situations are happening again and again, you got to start looking inward and looking at why you're, why are these things happening to you? Is it so that you can learn something? Are you in some way kind of creating the energy for these circumstances? And then once you, you get to the root, like you said, and you look inward, those outside circumstances tend to fall away on their own. They tend to kind of go away or they don't bother you the way they used to. They kind of just roll off your back. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, when you, that mindset, the mindset is a powerful thing. When you uh, talk about something and, and you have that, oh, that, that energy, it's going to, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, Nikola Tesla talked about this vibrations, you know, frequencies. We are 
uh, of you know these <clears throat> we are uh i forgot what the thing is like we are light beings having a uh yeah human experience i forgot like the name before. or we are divine beings having a human experience i've that's probably how it goes but when you go into a room and you feel the tension because again these vibrations and this energy that we let out and that's a powerful thing um <clears throat> and then you talk about we are family and there's a reason why we're born into the families that we're born into because they're we're bound to help each other out yeah i believe uh, that you, you you said it was karmically uh that we're all linked and i also think that's a powerful thing you know, and that's one of those things where I'm like, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to trust what I'm saying, but, you know, go inward and see what you discover. But I've discovered that the people in my family, especially the ones that push my buttons are there for a reason. And, and that I, I really, when I go inward, I learn about myself. And then I really come to, to love and respect the people that trigger me the most. They're our greatest teachers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I was uh, talking, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and then he he was like, you know what? There's a study that says that they, they measured how much you can love. They measured, there's a measure and they put a number on how much you can love. And that number is 110 people. So, cause you relate to the world, you know, you have road rage, you know, Oh fuck that guy. That guy just cut me off. Whatever this energy towards that guy. You don't yeah, know you because he's not in your, you know, in your click You're like, because after <laughs> <laughs> you can only love 110 <laughs> people after that you don't give a shit you don't give a shit about the other hundred and, and uh, you know after yeah. the 111 nope That's not funny. that I one heard of that. later i um i hope i hope to love everyone yeah interesting all, however many are there are seven billion but some of them you have to love from a distance <laughs> it's not safe to to love everyone yeah love everyone <laughs> and tell the truth yeah you know garrett Wrong said that God. to me and i was like that's so powerful that's so powerful um so uh we're gonna wrap up with freedom um and then you talk about freedom not coming within uh nor de nor is it dependent on people or circumstances allow yourself to be you and then obviously i don't know if you want to talk about it you had this thing uh that you were hiding within yourself that you eventually brought out and you were afraid of how others were going to accept you or, or perceive you um but at the end of the day you know we should find freedom within yeah, ourselves yeah um are you talking about my sexuality or or what are we talking yeah about? yeah i don't know if you wanted to talk oh, no, about no, that I'm, but I'm i mean it's in the book <laughs> yeah it's in the book i mean i'm bisexual and um i you know i think i suppressed the that part of myself for a long time i would have i would kind of fall in love with my female best friends and not realizing i was in love with them because i've always been in love with men too it's you know bisexuality is kind of a different animal in, in a lot of ways because um you can kind of hide it especially if you like the opposite sex too i'm married and i love my yeah. husband very much but i you know I, I had to come full circle with my sexuality and recognize that part of me and see that throughout my life i've kind of suppressed it so part of my yoga journey just happened to be discovering that about myself and really you know coming into my own and and um letting myself be who i am and owning that and um you know a lot of times that can be hard it can be scary and it doesn't mean that you know, I don't think most people's yogic journey will lead them to that type of discovery, but other types of things about themselves that maybe they have been willing to show or that they've even been hiding from themselves. It will, you know, just help bring those things into the light because we're meant to be whole, to be our whole selves, to be that true divine expression of us. 
And who are we to judge what the divine wants to be through us? So, you know, when we, we suppress parts of ourselves, we're really suppressing our true nature and the divinity in us that wants to be expressed. And it feels so much better just to be you, <laughs> just to be who you are and just let it out there. You know, some people are going to dislike you or, or, you know, look at you different. But it, if you really love yourself and you really feel that you're living your truth, it does it just doesn't matter, you know, because you're the only one at the end of the day that matters. Yeah. And like, like I mentioned earlier, uh, so you can truly open up to be your most authentic self. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because there's so many people living a lie. And if you, again, if, like you said, everybody's journey is different. Everybody's quest is different. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about finding that that light at the end of the tunnel or whatever you want to call it. Or yeah. Going through that labyrinth of, of finding your way. Um, but that's, yeah, I can't imagine what you probably went through when, when you were thinking about that. But I was listening to a comedian and she's like, if you're Googling, if you're bisexual, then it's like <laughs> Google come up as like, yeah, if you're Googling this, you're probably right? are. <laughs> it, seems, it seems so clear now and looking back at my life I'm like how did I not know you know like but there's you know society's funny I think it's easier now than it was although it's still you know hard for a lot of people especially with sexuality can be a big one but there's lots of different ways that society still judges us and you know for for different things and um we can't rely on society to show us the way to show us the truth we really have to find the truth within ourselves and then find a way hopefully a function in society, um, you know, like you have to, we have in society, we can't go around doing crazy things. Like if I, you know, realized I really love to not wear clothes. Well, I couldn't just walk down the street naked. You have to do things within the confines of society if you want to live in it, but you also have to learn how to express yourself yeah. and be true to yeah. yourself. Yeah. There's that, that, that's respect because you wouldn't want your son going outside yeah. and seeing some some guy or some lady walking around <laughs> butt-ass naked. But there's ways like, to express uh, that. It's funny. That's the, the example you know, I use. That's one that popped my head. But I feel like, yeah, you could find ways to express that. You could go to a nudist speech <laughs> where it's accepted or, you know, do it in your house or, or whatever. But, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, we do live in society. And that's really what I, you know, I try to find and embody is that balance, you know, because I have to be a lawyer sometimes, but I'm also a yogi and, and just trying to like function and be an intelligent member of society, but then also to recognize the inward journey like that quote you sent me before from alan watts is like in america if you say i found god and it's me you're looked upon you're insane you say that same thing in india like we we're talking about before oh it's yeah different. it's accepted and that's that's the thing you know <laughs> it's so funny yeah <laughs> Talk about god. it's like yeah, oh good thing you know like, now yeah we're like... all god okay go back to doing what you're doing but yeah here's it's different. Um, but the, well, that's changing, you know, people like you doing your podcast, spreading the word, it becomes more of a societal norm to, to talk about these things and, and, but still to function and live in society. We can't all go off in caves or go to India or wherever we need to live and work and be a community, but also recognizing the, the inner oneness that we share. Yeah. And then you talk about, uh, your red light camera story where you, <laughs> bought the red light camera ticket and you know you won it and then the the exposure you got from that and then you turn it you know talking about being a lawyer and troll engaging but engaging it in a professional yeah. manner you know not 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 feeding that energy because you can't two, yeah, two we, wrongs we, don't make a right we like to argue as a society but right now unfortunately we're in the spot where we hate the haters and we we see people as 
and their arguments as one. We don't have an easy time separating people from their arguments. So it's like, if I don't like your argument, I don't like you. Where what lawyering teaches you and specifically having to deal with trolls in the context of that red light camera case, um, it teaches you what I was taught or how I learned that, you know, you can disagree with people without being disagreeable. You know, there's a way to do it where you don't feed the hate and the anger, but you can have a discourse because we're going to disagree. But we, we can realize that people and their beliefs aren't the same thing. Like at our essence, we're all the same. We may not agree about all the different political and religious things that are happening right now, but we don't have to be ugly to each other. And that's hard, I think, in our society. At the end of the day, uh, we are, yeah, at the end of the day, six feet under, we're, we're the same. Yeah, You know, exactly. at the end of the day, when, when we're when we're done, over and done with, we're all the same. We believe the same. And again, the constructs of society that you know oh he's black he's asian he's indian he's white whatever it is it's like no dude we're all the same um we are oneness and when you look at the world from space there are no borders there are no lines we drew the damn lines on, on on the map you know uh shout out to jonas uh one of my one of my buddies who he has a youtube channel where he talks about uh you know the oneness, cosmic consciousness, stuff like that. We did, we drew those lines on the map, and it's like, it's true. You know, we uh, at the end of the day, animals don't see that. It no. doesn't matter to animals, you know, if there, there's borders or not. Um, uh, and then you talk about the mermaid uh, wanting to experience life as a human, and you relate it to us uh, with your story, the camping trip, uh, where. You know, if you feel your emotions, instead of suppressing them, understand them, invite them in. Uh, and at the end of the day, understand them and the human yeah. experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I called it the mermaid because it's like sometimes we go, why why did we pick? Why do we why are we here? <laughs> like, why do we want to suffer? Because there is a lot of suffering on Earth. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just for the joy of the experience, because with the suffering comes comes also great joy. And you really can't have one without the other in a lot of ways, because this is the world of duality, the world of opposites. You can't have joy without also sorrow, you know, and there probably exists realms where they're all one and it's everybody's just perfect all the time. But we really wanted to experience life, you know, to feel the dirt and the grit and the the happiness and the suckiness and all of it. And I, I think that's why we're here is just to get the full range of human experience. And so not to suppress any one of our emotions, not to express negative emotions, but to sit with them and feel them and find out what they have to teach us. And that's really how we find their opposites. You know, you can't suppress anger to find joy. You have to go through it <laughs> to find it, you know? Yeah. I like to relate that to, I always talk about this, about when you're sitting down and, and you can't breathe through one nostril, you take for, uh, you know, for granted all the times you mm-hmm. could breathe through both nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, all the times that I could breathe normally and then today I can't breathe through one nostril, <laughs> you know, it's the same yeah. thing. Uh, and then you, uh, you had a problem with accepting help from others or people telling you what to do. And sometimes, you know, it's okay to take that help or, or that advice. Like, Hey, be careful with the low entrance when you're <laughs> like, why is this guy telling me what to do? You know, I could take care of myself. And then when you're leaving, when you least expect it, boom, you hit yourself and it's like, <laughs> ah, you know that totally. inner conflict so uh 
so we'll wrap up with this the final thing uh your story so you know enter your own cave of, of darkness confront your own personal tigers and emerge uh you know a victorious and an authentic embodiment of you you know living your truth with love authenticity and freedom you know so how you said everybody's quest is different and how how this this book and again it it really made me look into myself and I enjoyed reading it, you know, uh, uh, you know, there was times where I would put it down. And I'm like, I don't want to go to sleep. So I'd pick it back up and keep reading. <laughs> oh, and, you know, I, it, it couldn't resonate with everybody, you know. But yeah, I end it with your story. And, and like what you're saying is just I just want to encourage other people to find their own story. They can identify with mine or not. But it's really about taking that own inward journey. It's going to look different from everyone. But just commit to it. Just go for it. And then. um see what you discover about yourself and where you end up. And I think what you'll find is that, yes, you're living with more authenticity, authenticity and freedom. And it may not be easy. You might have to confront some tigers, like I said, but that's part of the journey. And um, the rewards are beyond measure. Yeah, it uh, relates to a lot of uh, these cultures back then that they would literally, um, it, it just makes me think of, of uh the movie 300 where they would send them out to to slaughter that or to kill that tiger or something like that and not until you came back with its head yeah, were you like considered a, a man yeah you know it's it's yeah. almost like that and we you know luckily we don't mm -hmm. literally have to confront external tigers but they're they're inside um and in some ways they're they can be <laughs> yeah. harder to confront um because they're not as clear you know when you have an external tiger you know what you're fighting when it's inside you might be able to ignore it for a while, but not forever. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, again, that's why I wanted to try floating. I was scared to try because if you're in a dark place in your life, that's going to uh, manifest itself while you're in there. And I can relate that to uh, don't think about gators while you're in a float <laughs> tank because uh, it'll scare the hell out of you. <laughs> so, uh, Kelly, to wrap up, uh, where can people find yeah. your work? And uh, can you give that out yeah. one more time, your social media again, total Zen. So, yep. We're, you know, social media on all the major, you know, Instagram, Facebook, I'm on Instagram as at the yoga lawyer and Facebook same and total Zen is at total Zen on Instagram and Facebook. And then I've got my website, the That's kind of a good hub for all things. Me got my yoga classes and links to all my social media accounts and information about my book, et cetera. So that's where you can find me. And then I'm at Total Zen. I work on Tuesdays and Fridays usually, and I host yoga class uh, the second and fourth Sunday of every month. So th um, this coming Sunday, but this probably will air at a different, but the second and fourth Sunday of every month. I do yoga chanting for 15 minutes um, before, like it's, it's like a separate class at 945. And then at 10, I have open, open practice, which is like what I was saying before, where I you know just help people develop their own yoga practice that they can come do with me twice a month, but then also hopefully they're doing it at home. That's really the key because the real practice is an individual practice that you do on your own. You know, this journey isn't something I can take with you. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so again, thank you so much, Kelly, for talking to me today. And I really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed the book. So people should check it out, Rotten Minerva. Um, and thank you again, Kelly. Well, there you have it. That was Kelly Hastings. Uh, check out her work on her website check out her book on it i believe it's on amazon as well but make sure to follow us on social media at the one on one podcast check out our blog at the one on one podcast.com shoot me an email the one on one podcast at gmail.com you want to hear us talking about anything if you want to be on the show 
and thank you for all the support until next time What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.